I know that we already did once, but can we please uh, give it up one more time for our music team, for them leading us? Man. <laughs> Every week, um, you know, Tim and our volunteers and everyone and, and even the tech team um, that just every week they're leading us in God's truth. And that last song, Death Was Arrested, realizing that life only begins in Jesus. And that truth that Paul reminds us all throughout the book of Ephesians as we continue our series today, Ephesians chapter 5. And there's so many different topics, there's so many different ideas and concepts that, that is talked about in this letter. But overall, we see this idea that as the people of God, as the church, not just in this building, but all believers, all Christians, within the people of God, there should exist this culture that prevails even in the midst of the world and culture that we live in. And Paul, in order to do that, he gives us three ways in this first half of Ephesians chapter five. He says that we are able to walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. And that's kind of where we're gonna be headed for the next few minutes. And so chapter five, verse one, we're gonna get right into it. Are you guys ready? That was not as good as first hour. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Are you guys ready? Yes. There we go. Verse one, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. The first thing that Paul tells us to do in this chapter is essentially, you know, imitate God, be like God. Easy enough, right? That doesn't sound intimidating or impossible at all, right? Just be like God. But he's not giving us this like overall impossible task that's meant to dishearten us. He's actually doing the opposite. He's reminding us of who we are. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. And he's reminding us of who we are. And if we go all the way back to, to chapter one, the first week we were in the series, Kevin talked about how we have gone from being alienated from God to adopted into his family. That God has chosen us and adopted us so that now we have a new identity, new inheritance, new life. And we are now a son or daughter of our heavenly father. And so Paul says, as a beloved child, imitate your dad. And that's only natural, right? I mean, kids, when they grow up, uh, they want to be like their parents, especially they want to be like their dad. And I get maybe a lot of people in this room, maybe we don't have the best example of that loving father but Paul is saying, no matter who your family is, no matter you know, what your past was, you now have a perfect heavenly father who is going to provide, who is going to support you, who is going to love you. And Paul says that's the type of father that we want to emulate. That's the father that we want to be like. And so be like him. In verse 2, it says that we are to walk in love and Walk in love just as Christ loved you and sacrificed himself for us or for the church, for believers. And Jesus gave us the ultimate example of love. If we want to know what it looks like to really love somebody or to not just say it, but to act that out in action, it's Jesus. And what does love do? Love denies self. Verse says that he sacrificed his own life for our sins. And so in response, as we want to love 
others and love God in response to how he's loved us, we also offer up our lives in obedience to him. As a living sacrifice, he, he talks about in Romans 12. And so that unconditional love should give us the pattern of how to love others, of how to treat people, of how to view people, of how to forgive and how to be kind to them. We should look to Jesus for our template. And so in that way, we want to be like our father. Have you guys ever met someone, maybe, you know, a family member or a friend, and maybe for the first time you met their kids and it's like, whoa, that is definitely your kid. You know what I mean? It's like they look like them, they act like them, and they behave just like their, um, their dad or even their mom, their parents. In the same way, that should be how people view us. They should see how we love, how we treat people, again, how we forgive. Even in the midst of people being imperfect, we still show love like God. And people should view us and go, man, there's something different about how they're treating people. And that's because we are trying to imitate our Father. And so he gives the standard on how to imitate God by walking in love. And the second thing he does is he tells us not only walk in love, but also walk in light. Verses three through four say this. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Paul says, all right, walk in love, but now you need to walk in light. And by doing that, it means you don't do these things. And he gave three words. Again, these are the opposite of love. He talks about immorality, impurity, and greed. That's self-indulgence. That's not self-sacrifice. And so he's, he's listing these three things, but essentially they can be boiled down into two. He says sexual immorality and greed have no place in the life of a believer. These two Things have no place, that there shouldn't even be a hint of them. But honestly, the world we live in, I think often we tend to tolerate it. We tend to have just a tolerance that is way too high to these two things. But Paul says there should be no hint that no amount of these two things should be in a believer's life. It, I, I kind of think of it as someone with an allergy. Okay, if you have a peanut allergy... As much as you can, you want to be meticulous about what you eat and how you eat and make sure that it's not in what you're eating. You want to stay away from from what you're allergic to, right? In the same way, we want to distance ourselves from these two things specifically that Paul is mentioning because we know how harmful they can be. The first one, sexual immorality. Anything in our lives that is going to uh, work against the lifelong commitment of one man and one woman in marriage. And again, if you think about it, we have strayed so far from God's original design of what he intended sex to be. And, and again, this is, in my opinion, one of the best examples that we have of God giving us a gift that's good and meant for his glory and then us distorting it until it's lost value and it's lost meaning. I mean, think about it. You have, I don't know about you guys, but for me, just scrolling on Instagram, it's a temptation because every, you know, 10 seconds there's an advertisement or someone that I'm following that's just stupid and they're posting, you know, 
half-naked pictures of themselves, and there's advertisement, there's commercials on TV. You turn on, you, you go to the movies, and what's the plot about? It's about something that does not honor God. It's about sex. It's about even joking and making light of sin. All of us either have computers or phones in our pocket that we are seconds away from the ability to access pornography at any time. We live in a world that sex is the standard before marriage, that it's about what you want and it's about fulfilling your desire, not about what God says is right or what's best or according to his original design. We've become so numb to the fact that everywhere we look and it's so just, it, it's thrown in our face that there's temptation everywhere we look. And Paul says not only behaving in it, but joking about it, discussing it. He's saying that, that it doesn't help you. It doesn't benefit you. The songs on the radio that, you know, we may be thinking, okay, well, I'm not doing those things or I'm not really, you know, thinking about them. There's still lyrics that just don't honor God and are pulling us away from biblical truth. And he says that when it comes to lust and immorality, that we should flee, not just fight, not just struggle with, flee, run, get, a far, get as far away as you possibly can from danger, from sin, something that's going to tempt you and ultimately bring you farther away and carry you. And so it's important whether you're in this room and you're married and Bible's saying, be pure, be committed to your wife, be committed to your husband for your entire life as much as you can. And if, if you're in this room, if you're single, if you're dating, or if you're engaged, it's even more important that we set the foundation of being pure and seeking God instead of gratification in something else so that the future relationships and our future marriage is going to be built off this principle. And not only that, but he mentions greed. And greed, something else that we also tolerate in our world and even as Christians today. You know what greed is called in 2020? Advertisement. Marketing. What does a good commercial do? It makes you want whatever's on TV, right? That's what a successful uh, advertisement is going to do. And so Paul says greed is something else that there should be no hint among believers. That this, this idea of greed is desiring things that ultimately won't fulfill. And it's also being unwilling to give up what you have. So not only are you desiring more and more, but you're also unwilling to part with everything that you have. There may be people that can benefit from it. You may be able to be generous, but you're saying, no, I, I want to keep my possessions. And again, greed, sometimes even in my life, I find myself doing this. This is one of those sins where I kind of treat lesser than other ones, that I treat like it's not that big of a deal. I'll often think that I deserve this, like I deserve to be greedy. You know what, I've, I've, I've stuck to, to my budget well, I deserve this vacation. Or you know what, I, I haven't splurged on anything too crazy, I'm gonna buy this TV that I've been wanting for a while. Or you know what, I have been so disciplined, I'm buying a puppy, like whatever it is. We often almost treat ourselves to these things. And, and I'm not saying that's wrong to, to buy any of those, but what's the motive? Are we finding our contentment and are we trusting in things and possessions instead of our creator? And he says, instead of being immoral and greedy, be thankful towards God. And here's why, verse five. For this you know with certainty, 
that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sins of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Verse 5 is saying, if, you, or if your life is defined by these things, immorality, impurity, greed, then you do not have an inheritance to confidently claim. And so you might hear me speaking or, or read this verse and go, okay, wait a minute. Are you saying that if I lust or if I covet, that I'm not going to heaven? Is that what this verse is saying? I'm not saying that if you do those things, then you're not saved. But if these things define your life, if they are always present and there's no conviction, there's no desire or effort to change, then you're either not a believer, you don't have a true saving faith in Jesus, or at the very least, you're living inconsistent with the faith that you profess. At the very least, you're living inconsistently with what God says in his word. And so if you are walking in sin, you feel no remorse, you feel no guilt, you don't care. You don't care enough to, to change and to trust God. Then that offers reason for great concern. And the Bible makes that clear. Verse 6 says he doesn't want us to be deceived. That it's because of the, the, the deeds and the sin that people are doing is the reason that the wrath of God is coming is the reason that the wrath of God is present. He doesn't want people to be deceived that there is no consequence for sin. That there was probably people in Ephesus who were taking sin way too lightly, who were believing that, you know what, as long as I say I'm a Christian and as long as I said this prayer uh, when I was in VBS, then I can live however I want. You know, God's forgiving, God's gracious. He's, he's gonna understand. Paul is painting this picture of sin that's serious. It's the reason that God had to die was for our sins. And he says that the wrath is coming on sins of disobedience. The people that he's describing are not believers that are struggling and sometimes fall with sin, but people whose lives are defined by disobedience and who still sit under the wrath of God. And those people, Paul says in verse seven, do not be partakers with them. Do not be partakers with them. This means don't behave like them. Your lifestyle should not match up with someone who does not know Jesus. If you're, if you're a believer, then your life should look different than someone who does not know Jesus. And so again, when he says, don't be partakers with them, he's not saying remove all or un unbelievers from your life. He's not saying go block every unsaved person from your Facebook. Don't call on your unsaved friends and say, hey, my pastor said I can't talk to you anymore. Sorry. Hope to see you soon. You know, that we still want to reach those people. We still are called to seek and save the lost. But he's saying participating in the conduct, especially in areas that Paul is talking about, immorality, impurity, greed, that participating in those things is incompatible with being a Christian. That's not who we are anymore. And he goes on to remind us of our identity in verse 8. He says, but you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. He's saying they should avoid sinning, avoid behavior like unbelievers, because that's inconsistent with your new identity. 
I don't know if you caught it in verse 8, but he doesn't just say that we were in darkness. He said that we were darkness. That defined our entire life, that we were darkness. But he's saying, no, that's not you anymore. You were this way, but you now have life in Christ. You have something greater. You have something better. You have something more valuable. And you've been given purpose and meaning and identity. He's saying, and so that's no longer you. Verse 9, that you need to walk in this way. That God is good. God is righteous. God is true. And so we should be those things. Those should be characteristics in our life. And verse 10 talks about how every step of the way we need to be trying to find out what pleases the Lord. God gives us commands in Scripture. God gives us, you know, principles and, uh, and, and things that we should define our lives by. But he also realizes that every decision you make, you're not going to be able to turn to some verse and find a clear answer. Okay, what, what car should I buy? All right, Job 21 says I should buy a Hummer. You know, that, you're not going to be able to find every question that you're seeking in Scripture. And so he leaves it. He leaves room for us to use judgment, to use discernment, to use our minds that are being renewed as we focus on his truth. And so in any given situation, we want to make decisions not based off what's best for me, what's best for my bank account, what's best for my schedule, what's best for my reputation, but what brings God the most glory. How can I best honor God in this scenario? That's how we should be making decisions. And again, trying to follow God's will using our judgment. But remember that you are children of light. If you are saved, if you're a Christian, that is your identity. You are children of light, which means, verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. He's saying not only with your new identity do you want to not participate in their sin, in their lifestyle, in their behavior, but even expose their deeds, even expose them. And this word expose can, can have a few connotations to it. It can mean to uncover something evil. It can mean to, to point out error. Or it can also mean to, to help set somebody back on the right path. And so to expose them. In this context, exposure has the benefit of helping the person being exposed. And you do that by shining light into the darkness. And he's kind of playing on this imagery. And, and reading about this verse there's a lot of different views on, okay, Paul says that we should expose people, expose their sin for what it really is. And there's kind of a disagreement between a lot of people that I was reading about that, okay, are we supposed to expose unbelievers? Are we supposed to expose Christians? Uh, expose our own sin? Like what is going on here? The focus is that as children of light, as Christians, that we need to oppose sin. That's the bottom line. We need to oppose sin. And so we do that. We expose others and even sin in our own lives. We do that by comparing everything to the light of Scripture, 
to the light of the gospel, to the light of the truth of who God is. So no matter who it is, we want to be exposing sin and showing others what sin really is. And it's the reason that God had to die for us. And so maybe it's people in our lives who do not know Jesus yet. When Paul says we are to expose them, we can do that by sharing our faith with them and showing that, you know what, like your sin isn't something that should be enjoyed, but your sin is the reason that Jesus died for you. And so the goal of, of reaching the lost or the goal, like it, if you're at someone in this room who, you know what, you acknowledge that you have not given your life to Christ yet, you just haven't decided on Jesus, whatever's holding you back, whatever's holding you back, you just haven't made that commitment yet. If that's you, the goal what we want for you is not to just stop sinning. Kevin talked about that last week, that we are to put off our old self and put on our new self. But that's not done as the overall like, goal of our life. We want to show you something greater than the life that you're living in now. We want to show you the gospel. We want to show you that Jesus loved you in the midst and in spite of our sin. And so again, the goal is to show people something greater and no longer enjoy the darkness and the sin that they're in, but realize that there is light, that there is life in Jesus. We, and we also expose sin among believers in the church, that we confront sin whenever it's found. Truthfully and lovingly, we help each other and we guide each other back to, you know what, maybe this is an area in your life where you can honor God more. You know what, this doesn't seem to match up with scripture. Let's figure out how we can and change that. And even in our own lives, we can expose the darkness, we can ex expose sin by constantly evaluating our lives to God's word. Is there any part of your life, is there any part of my life that does not match up with this? If so, God says we need to trust him and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us to change that, to change that, to honor him even more. And so our job as children of light, is to hold everything up to the light of Scripture. That whatever sin is in us or in other people in our lives, we want to show them that there is greater life, there is light found in Jesus. And in verse 14 that we already read, he's kind of calling on this illustration of being converted, of going from death to life, that he says, Awake, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul is calling unbelievers to something greater. That they were darkness, that they were dead. But he's saying, no, you have life in Christ. That through his death, that through his resurrection, you've been saved. We walk in love. We walk in light. And the third one, we walk in wisdom. Verses 15 through 21 say this. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but is wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Verse 21 is kind of actually where we're headed next week. How we are able to honor God and be subject to one another. 
But here in verse 15, how we are able to walk in wisdom, the first thing he tells us to do is be careful. Be careful how you walk. Be careful how you live. Be careful what you say, how you treat people. Be careful of how you are living. And this word careful, it's this idea of closely uh, examining, investigating something with great care. And it's also being alert. Because as believers, we want to be alert, we want to be aware to dangers that Satan is putting in our way to limit or distract us from honoring God. And so he says the days are evil. We, we want to make the most of that. We want to be careful and alert to the world we live in and our own faith. The, uh, the best way I know how to describe this, when I was going to school, I went to Liberty University. And when I was there, I was working with the RA on the hall and we had to interview students to fill ministry positions on the hall. And so basically we just needed five or six small group leaders that were going to lead the guys on our hall, you know, throughout the semester. And so we probably uh, interviewed 10 to 12 guys for the job, but there's one in particular that, that stood out in my memory. His name was Josh and Josh, he was honestly one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, always smiling, great attitude, uh, incredibly smart. He double majored and both of his majors were way out of my league. You know, just something crazy like computer. I, I, I don't know, it was something crazy, but really smart. And he was also a Marine. And so I think he had been deployed in, in the past year or two and we interviewed him. And one of the questions that we asked is actually the second question. And so we had only been in the room for a couple minutes. Uh, the question that we asked every single guy was, all right, you know, we want to get to know you a little more. Tell us something about yourself that we probably don't know. You know, just by meeting you right off the bat, tell us something that we probably, or that, that most people don't know about you. And most of the answers we got were, hey, you know, I struggle with this sin, or uh, this is my talent, you know, that I don't often show off, or um, I have a fear of flying. You know, normal answers like that. Josh, he answered a little differently. He said, uh, well, I'd have to say, you know, because of my training, because I was a Marine, um, in whatever situation I'm in, I'm always looking, just in case a dangerous situation arose, I'm always looking on how I would kill someone. Uh, <laughs> okay, please explain. You know, he said, well, you know, just because... Uh, again, because of my time in the Marines and uh, always having to evaluate a situation, deciding whether it's dangerous or if it's a threat, I'm always looking for how, you know, just in case someone were to pull a gun out or, you know, a situation like that came about, what would I do? How would I take him out? How would I kill him? I was like, all right then. So uh, let me get this straight. In my mind, I was thinking, we've been in the room for three minutes. And he's already planned on how to kill me. This is, this is exactly what I want the interview to go like. And uh, I did the only thing that we could do. Gave him the job, obviously. I'm not going to tell him no. You know, that would be a bad call. But I will tell you, our hall was never safer than that semester. But uh, the, Josh, he was alert. He was always careful about his surroundings, about, man, just being alert to, to anything that could cause him or those around him danger. We, in a similar sense, we need to be like Josh, alert, 
carefully living out our days, always looking to go, okay, what can prevent me? What can distract me from honoring God in my life and in this world? Because we cannot go, as a believer, we cannot go through life day to day just carelessly. We can't just relax and hope for the best and think, you know what? I'm probably going to be where I want to be, you know, in a few years from now. Uh, I, I know I'm saved and that's good enough for me. Paul says that we need to be alert to our own faith, to the world around us, to distractions, and also to the will of God. Always looking for things that can distract us. In the Ephesian church, this was needed for them. Because by far, they were a small minority in the culture they lived in. That everyone else around them, not even by, not even by close measures, everyone around them was living in opposition to God's standards. And so for them, the reputation of the gospel was hanging on their behavior. Are they going to match up with, with what God says, with how they thought a Christian should behave? They needed to represent the gospel well. And Paul says, be careful and be wise. And that's partly because, uh, just like verse 16 tells us, that we need to be making the most of our time because the days are evil. All of us have a fixed amount of time on earth. That when our life is over here, we're going to spend eternity somewhere, but God has given us a fixed amount of resources, amount of time, amount of relationships. What are we going to do with it? Paul says make the most of it. That we are to take every second and offer it to the Lord. Every second that we can, we need to be using it to know God and to make him known. And the temptation is to waste it, right? The temptation, what, what Satan would love more than anything other than direct disobedience to God, the enemy would love for us to just throw away as much of our lives as possible. All of us, most of us, have the ability to waste not only hours, not only days, but weeks and just months at a time. We have the ability to waste that much time in our pockets, on our phone, with social media and games and TV and, and things that we're giving our time and energy and attention to that really isn't furthering the cause of the gospel. And so we can waste time or not make the most of it by committing, you know, you know what, I'm going to watch every single Cleveland and Ohio State game. I'm going to sleep the hours away at a time or I'm going to make sure to watch every episode, every season of this Netflix show and this, you know, got to have Disney Plus because everyone has it. You know, we're, this luxury of living in 2020 is also a temptation to not be productive for God. And he's saying make the most of it. We're to redeem, buy up all the time and resources that we have. Give them to God. He goes on in verse 18. He says, do not get drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit. And that's the emphasis here, but be filled with the Spirit. And reading this, honestly, to me and to you guys too, it may seem kind of random. Like, all right, Paul, where did alcohol come into this? He's saying, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And that's the main point, that we should let the Holy Spirit, what enters our life when we trust in Jesus, we should let the Holy Spirit completely lead and guide our lives. And one way, one easy way not to do that, Paul's saying, is by getting drunk. And it, 
It's letting that control you, let that lead and guide you and govern you. And you might be reading this going, all right, he said don't get drunk with wine. He didn't say anything about beer. All right, I got you, Paul. We're good, we're good. Uh, no, no, don't do it. <laughs> Any way that you're able to get under the influence of some substance, some, so don't get drunk, don't get high. Paul's saying no, it's not for believers. And I think as Christians, sometimes when God gives us a command, we're always trying to find kind of the, the middle ground or the line in between. Like, okay, Paul says don't get drunk, but does that mean I'm able to have a few drinks? That means if I'm going out to eat with some friends, you know, just can I casually drink? Like, where's that middle ground? How far can I go? And I think when we read the scripture, it's not, I, I can't stand up here and say that it's completely a sin for every believer to drink. I'm not saying that. But just because we have the freedom to do so doesn't mean that we shouldn't be aware of the warnings that Paul gives us. And so before, uh, you know, we commit ourselves to, to drinking or having a drink, I think there's some questions that we want to run through our minds and kind of self-check and ask ourselves, okay, is it necessary? Is it habit-forming? Is it potentially destructive? Is it providing joy for my life? that I should instead be finding in God? Will it offend other Christians? Will it uh, deter my, or will it cause damage to my testimony? Will it deter others from the gospel? And one that I think is extremely beneficial, will this get me closer to God? We are called to walk in wisdom. And so again, the main point here is to walk in wisdom, to be filled with the Spirit and let the Spirit guide us. Let the Holy Spirit lead us in every decision and every day. And so if you want to do the safe thing, don't drink. But the main point is that we want to be walking in wisdom and be led by the Spirit. And when we do that, verse 19, this is a natural result. He says that we are to be speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns, and in spiritual songs, and also giving praise to God. That this is a natural result of us being filled, in this, filled with the Spirit. And, and this command to use our voice to sing to others and to God, I'll be honest, not my favorite verse in the Bible, okay? I don't, for if any of you are like me, and when they sing, you sound like a dying llama. Okay, that's, that, that's why I'm not up here with Tim at the beginning of the service. They kind of put me at the end of it because I, I can't sing. But he's saying this is a natural result of being obedient to God and allowing the Spirit to lead us. It's because we are thankful for God. It's because we are expressing and praising Him and celebrating what He's done in our life. And so that's why we gather here and sing. We're not just trying to fill the hour with, you know, okay, uh, sermon will be about 30 minutes. What can we do with the other half? We are singing and praising because we are honoring God and obeying him in this command. And God knew there was something about music that just allows us to express our gratitude different than anything else. And so in just a minute, as the band kind of makes their way up here, we're going to give us a chance, an opportunity to obey God in this way. As a lot of times, you know, we, we often do, we close with a song. But today, I want us to think differently about at why we're singing. 
Don't just sing because everyone else around you is singing. Don't just sing because, you know what, I'm at church, I'm a Christian, this is what we do. Don't just sing because, all right, when this song's over, to Bob Evans we go. You know, that, sing. <laughs> sing because we are grateful for what God has done. And he's telling us to be thankful. It's a result of a relationship with God. And as the church, we wanna be influenced, we wanna be directed, and we wanna be governed by the Holy Spirit. And we're letting him know how thankful we are as we voice that out. It's not just a belief, it's not just a faith that we claim to have, but we are showcasing it and we're telling him that. And we have the opportunity to do that every Sunday morning as, as we gather together, not only in his word, but worship him. And it's out of gratitude. Paul mentions thankfulness or, or having this mindset of thanking God multiple times just in this portion of Ephesians. And so the God that we're singing to, we're thankful that he has saved us. In spite of our sin, we're thankful for him taking us from darkness to light, from death to life. We're thankful that he has chosen us to adopt us into his family so that we are a son or daughter of our heavenly father. That he has given us the Holy Spirit as a seal and gifted us uniquely to honor him and to build up the church. That the God we are singing to, that we are thankful that he has called us and saved us and is urging us to walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. That's the God we're singing to. And that's the God we have an opportunity to serve and obey. And we wanna be led and governed by him. So let's go ahead and stand up and pray. And, uh, and after we pray, we'll have the opportunity to praise God and obey. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning just thankful for who you are, for what you've done. God, you have created us. And in spite of my disobedience, in spite of my sin, in spite of all of our just wrongdoing, God, running from you, you have still chosen to send your sons down the cross for our sins. And God, has that, is, that is the greatest news that we could ever hear, that we could ever have, and that we could ever give to someone else. And so out of that gratitude, as you call us to walk in love and light and wisdom, out of that gratitude, God, we sing, we praise you. And I pray that our lives would match our identity. And if there's anyone in this room who has not taken that step to fully acknowledge their sin and put their faith in you and chosen to follow you, God, I pray that they would solve that today, that whatever's holding them back, that they would offer their lives to you as a living sacrifice. And, and God, again, we just thank you for the gospel most of all. And it's for that reason that we sing and that we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.